The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. We are made new, and He is making all things new. One of the cool things about the Bible is it always gives it to you straight. Or as my little brother says, it gives you the reels. gives you the reels right between your eyes, and today is no different. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 8. We have two more sections of this Romans part 4, and then we'll be into our Once Upon a Time series for the rest of the summer. Um, but this part is incredibly encouraging to me because, like I said, it gives us the reels. And this whole idea of Jesus making all things new, this is a promise. This is also something we read in Revelation where he says, Behold, I have made all things new. But we're not there yet, contrary to what the news might make you feel. We haven't quite got to the end when everything will be made new, but things are being made new. And, and part of the thing that we have in Christ is we have a promise of a new hope, a new hope. And this is important for us. It's been said that about hope, that a human being can maybe live about 40 days without food. Now that's give or take. Some of us store more during the wintertime than others. But we can go roughly about 40 days without food. And we can last about four days without water. But you can only last a few seconds without hope. Hope is that confident expectation of something out there. That confident expectation that tomorrow the sun will rise again. And on a summer day when, you know, a lot of people are camping or we're going to festivals or we're doing vacations, we're out and about, you might think, well, why do we need to go Debbie Downer so fast? Because hope is vital to our very existence. And this section that we read today is going to give us the real. Starting in verse 18, it's a little bit of a longer section today, but let's listen to what God tells us. He says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. 
for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. In Christ, we have new hope. Now that was a big chunk. There was a lot of different things in there, but there are three big ideas that I think are evident in what Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote down, and it's for us this morning. And here's the first one, and this is the reals. Life is hard. Life is hard. Can I get a witness that life is hard? Right. Some of us, okay. If life hasn't been hard for you yet, oh, get ready. Right? Life is hard. Life is hard with our health. Life is hard to make a living. Life is hard to make a marriage work or to raise your kids right or to just make it out of bed. I don't want to get out of bed this morning. Now, don't get me wrong. I love this church. I love this job. I love what God's called me to. When that rain was coming down, I just wanted to sleep and this body wanted to sleep. It's hard given the constraints of creation and being a human being sometimes to make life work. I am surprised that I get surprised when life is hard. Did you catch that? I'm surprised at myself. Jesus promised us that life would be hard. He said in the book of John, in this life you will have trouble. In this life you will have trials and suffering. He said, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. I'm surprised at how often I get surprised when life gets hard. And then it's like, what in the world is going on? The world's caving in. You know, the Spirit's left us. Life is hard. It's going to be hard. In verse 18, the passage starts out by saying, what we suffer now. The implication is we all suffer a little bit. We suffer when the Tigers don't win. 
We suffer when the lions are perennially terrible. It's a cross that we bear, right? But there's worse sufferings than that. We suffer to make a living. We suffer because of what they did or said about us. We suffer when things don't go our way. Life's hard. It's part of the curse of sin. And sometimes it's my own decisions in my own flesh that makes life hard. And then I suffer in the consequences, or I see my loved ones suffer in the consequences of my own sin. In verse 20, it says, all creation is cursed. Think about that. All creation is cursed because of sin. Quite frequently, we reference what happened in the Garden of Eden when our first parents were cursed and cut off from God because they chose to disobey God and disbelieve God. But did you know all of creation is also cursed? All of creation is cursed. Tsunamis and tornadoes and earthquakes, cancer, right? Someone gets struck by lightning. That wasn't supposed to happen. That's not how this world was designed. All of creation is cursed because of sin. It says that in, in verse 21 that there's death and decay. I'll tell you when life sometimes gets hard, and you can keep your comments to yourself. It's when I look in the mirror. Day after day after day, right? I'm 46 years old, and some of you are like, oh, that's spring chicken. I had two old guys tell me last night that there's a certain age where you just stop looking in a mirror. It's for your own good, Right? I'm not trying to just take my vanity and put it out there, but you know, I, I had to find an old yearbook photo for some gag thing that our ministry out in Colorado is you know, part of. And so I found myself on Friday going through some old yearbooks and some old albums so I could click some pics because they want to make fun of us, right? And I found this one pic back when I was playing pro soccer and it, I was at a beach with some other guys and we were just like, hey, you know, like this. And, and there was a picture of me, 21 and shirtless. And I'm like, to my teenage daughter, Isabel, look, I used to have abs, right? She's like, wow, dad, you did, and you're kind of weird, right? The moment you're born, you start to decay. The moment you're born, you start dying. That's part of this curse of creation, and, and, and it's part of, you know, it says that all of creation groans with us, you know? And I, I'm not just talking about abs, I mean, I'm talking about marriages, you know, and Broken relationships and hurt people that hurt people. Cancer. Right? People that are incapacitated. I was talking to a guy after the last service and he was telling me his testimony. His life changed forever when he took a ride in a hot air balloon. When I think of a hot air balloon, I think of Willy Wonka at the chocolate factory, you know, and hey, some, you know, isn't Mary Poppins driving by with an umbrella or something? And no, it ended in a car crash where he lost his face and had his scalp ripped off. What in the world? It's a hot air balloon ride, man. All creation groans with us. In verse 23, it says, we long to be released from these bodies of sin. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more I realize how imperfect I am. And it may not be the same sin that afflicted me before, but there's different ones, and I continually see my own failings and my own shortcomings. Life is hard. And the Bible doesn't candy coat it. And it could be easy to get really down and to despair because hope is a dangerous thing. 
If you watch the movie Shawshank Redemption, you remember that line from Red as the, all the doors are slamming shut and, and he's warning a new inmate to the prison of Shawshank. He says, hope's a dangerous thing. It can drive a man insane. Hope that the marriage can be fixed. Hope that life's going to turn out. Hope that dot, dot, dot. It can drive you mad. In college, we had to read Dante's Inferno. I don't know if you had to read that divine comedy, but it was, it was actually a journey through hell. And that's where the famous words came from Dante, where he said he imagined that in hell that there's a sign over the gates that says, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Only have a few seconds without hope. Can you imagine trying to do life without God? Can you imagine trying to make it work? Some of us are trying our best to make that work. Life is hard, but the second thing I see in here is that God gives hope. God gives us hope. Hope is laced all throughout this passage. I see four different ways that God gives us profound hope when life gets hard. And hope is this confident expectation. Here's the first one, right in verse 24. God gives hope because he saves and he promises. He saves and he promises. It says, we were given this hope when we were saved. Now, if God saves us and he promises us something, he must have something in mind. Because if there were no hope, he would just let me go on throughout my life being unsaved and not giving me a promise. What did he promise? He promised, I'll make you right with me. I'll give you eternal life. You have the promise of heaven. And part of that promise, John, is yes, you'll get a new body. He saves us and he promises us. And if he's doing that, there must be a reason. God's not just walking around arbitrarily saving or not saving. He saves us and he promises. That gives us hope. The second thing we see in verse 26 and 27, God helps, prays, and pleads. He helps, prays, and pleads. Now, this is the third time I've preached this message, and I still don't think I've adequately explained how awesome and baffling and mysterious this passage is. So I'm going to do my best. Your service number three, you're going to get the best shot. You ready for this? It says, first of all, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. I can understand that. I can understand that because there's areas where I'm weak, where I need God's strength. There's areas where I'm weak and I need God's encouragement. There's areas where I'm weak and I need God's provision and I can feel God encouraging me through, through friends, through comments that people might make or, you know, through a blessing of some kind. I can understand that, that God gives hope because he helps me. This is where it gets mysterious. It says, here's an example of how God helps me. The Holy Spirit prays with me. What? The Holy Spirit is God. I'm praying to God. And it is an example God knows that I don't even know how to pray. So just in case, God prays with me. God prays for me. Have you ever thought about that? Let me take you into Christian ghetto world. It happened on our way in. It'll happen on our way out. We'll shake hands. You might hug somebody if you feel comfortable. 
and we'll, hey, well, how's it going? What, what's the deal with that situation? And inevitably, someone's going to say to somebody, hey, can you be praying for dot, 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 right? And I appreciate that. That happens to me quite often. So often that I can't remember them all, and I feel a little bit panicked because I care, and usually it comes in the form of an assignment. Pastor, be praying for this. Oh, thank you for telling me what I'm doing this week. But I appreciate you, right? You didn't even get that. Come on. That was a joke, right? We need you to be praying for this. We need you to be praying for this. We need you to pray because you're a pastor. You need to pray. And I'm like, yeah, I want to pray. And so what I start doing is in the back of my mind is I'm praying, God, you got that one. God, I need you to get that one. God, I can't remember these all. I had 128 prayer requests by the end of one weekend. How do I keep up with all of them? I got good news for you. The Holy Spirit prays for you. Now, let me go even further than that. When I need help, there's a bro of mine right there, Ben Brown. I need you to be praying for me, Ben, right? Find another friend in the back. Hey, I need you guys to be praying for me. Hey, can the, can, can the Kingsley Connection, can you guys be praying for that, all right? So I got my friend Ben Brown, my buddy in the back. I got the Kingsley Connection, and they're all praying for me. That's great, and I love you, and I appreciate you, but God is praying for me. No offense. No offense, right? In our weakness, God prays for us. That's cool that you're praying. That's cool that the connection's praying. But that God himself prays for me? That's a big deal. And not only that, he knows better how to pray than you do. And he knows better what to say than you do because he knows the will of God. Talk about hope. Because I'll be honest, some things that I pray for, I probably shouldn't be praying for. Or some of the best scenarios have been when God hasn't given me what I've prayed for. Now, why did that happen? Because God's praying for me and knows better how to pray for me than I know how to pray for me or any of my friends. I have hope because not only does God help me in my weakness, he prays for me. It says he pleads for me. Now, there's prayer and there's pleading prayer. Anyone ever pleaded with God or pled with God in your prayer? I mean, I can remember pleading before a human being one time. It was before a judge for an outstanding traffic ticket, right? I pled no contest. I, I beg of you, just let me pay the fine and not have my license revoked, right? It wasn't that bad. Calm down. God gives hope because he helps us. He prays for us. And if there's no wasted words in Scripture, he pleads for us. And then we get to that profound verse 28. And I don't want to give you an assignment, but I'm just going to tell you right now, if there's one verse in this chapter that's worth memorizing, it's Romans 8, 28. And if you haven't needed it already, there's going to come a time in your life when you're going to need it. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God gives hope because he works good purposes. He works good purposes out of everything. He works good purposes all the time. He can be counted on. We can have hope because he's always working good. In the middle of your bad time, he's working good. In the middle of your divorce, he's working good. In the middle of you winning the lottery, he's working good. In the middle of cancer, he's working good. 
God is the divine weaver, he's been called. Then there's this huge tapestry, and he's bringing all the threads of all of our lives in every time, in every place, in every nationality, in every tongue, and he's doing something spectacular. And he's working all things together. He's like this divine martial artist. You take whatever we can throw at him, our bad choices, our sin, our flesh, our wickedness, right? He can take the cancer. He can take the horrible decision. He can make war. And he takes all those things and he's going to find a way to point them all towards good. That's a big deal. If that doesn't give you hope, you're hopeless. Now, is that the verse to go uh, stand at the side of a child's casket and start quoting to a mom who's just lost their baby? Maybe not in that moment, but is it still true? Yes. You may not see the good in the middle of the hell that you're in, but God's doing something. And it's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than our perspective. Sometimes we don't even see it in our lifetime. There's a whole lot of saints went on to be with Jesus before they saw the good that God was going to do in this season at the tabernacle. Think about that. Think about the men and the women who sacrificed and prayed and pled and they prayed with Jesus for this to happen and they never, ever, ever got to see it. Was God still working all things together for their good, for our good? You betcha. You know how I know this? It's because some of their grandchildren, some of their great-grandchildren have come to know Christ in this place and they didn't get to see it, but the good happened. God's working all these things together. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to face these things. I was talking to a friend this week, and, and he's a relatively new Christian. Just here's a short snapshot of his life, right? He was kind of nominally raised in the church, and then the church and particularly ministers hurt him really, really, really bad. At 12 years old, he doesn't want anything to do with the church. His family doesn't want anything to do with the church. He's far away from church. Gone. See ya. He starts doing life, trying to make life happen. He gets married. He works hard. He's trying to make her happy. They have a couple of kids. And then life, pow, pops him right in the face against his wishes, against and despite his best efforts. He lost his marriage. She wanted out. Now they got two kids and he's depressed. He's heartbroken. This is the end. Then he gets worse. The one friend in the world that he was relying on is killed in a motorcycle crash. He finds himself despairing and lost and at the bottom. He's going to counseling. He's being counseled by a human and being counseled by Jack Daniels. He didn't want to live. And then he starts clawing that confident expectation that something's going to happen. He meets a great girl. They try to put their families together. They get another job and he's working. And then he comes here. Starts hearing about life and new life gives his life to Jesus. It transforms him. It's transforming him. It's transforming his girlfriend. It's transforming their family. And then in the course of just a few short weeks, he loses his job again through no fault of his own. His kids are excited about Jesus, and, but now they go to ex-wife's house and she tells them that it's all a lie, that God didn't create the universe. She makes them take the crosses off that Joe Lashbrook gave them. She tells him that the only reason dad's in church is to make him feel better about himself. That he's worthless. I mean, how discouraging is that? 
he wasn't discouraged. On the phone this week, he was telling me, yeah, I was telling my dad about this Romans 8.28, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. What's the difference between now and the first set of trials and suffering that you went through? Now I have hope. Now I have hope. You see, becoming a Christian doesn't guarantee that you're not going to face all the hardness of life. Life's still going to happen. It's still going to hurt. Still, things aren't always going to go your way. Someone's going to let you down. He'll let you down. She'll let you down. The kids will let you down. Church will let you down. Preacher will let you down. Your favorite thing's going to go away. The difference is, God gives us hope. My friend's hanging on to hope. He's trusting in the God who's real that he's up to something. And that he'll somehow work this together for his good. How do we know this? Because what it said in the, in the last part there, that God chooses, calls, and gives. God chooses us, he calls us, and he gives to us. Now, if he's going to choose us, call us, and give something to us, I think he's got a reason to do this. Theologians call this the golden chain of election. In verse 29, oh, and here's a mystery. It says, God knew his people in advance. That means God knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. Did you know that God is sovereign and knows everything? Did you know that? Did you know that God knew what you were going to do before you did it? Did you know that? That'll hurt your brain at night. We're free, but God knew. And because God knew that you would love him and that you would choose him, because he knew that, he chose you, he called you, he gave you right standing, and it says, and he's going to give you glory. So he chose you, he called you, he gave you right standing, that means he made you righteous. There's only one more gift left, and that's his eternal glory. He's three for four, I think we can trust him. Actually, it's four for five, because there's two gifts. Right? Can we trust him? This is the hope that he gives us. You see, God is never surprised. I take great hope in that. Did you know that God cannot be surprised? Okay, short list of some things that God can't do. There are some things that God can't do. God cannot make a square circle. That's nonsensical. Okay? God cannot do evil. Only good can come from God can allow evil, but God doesn't do evil. God cannot sin. So he can't make a square circle, he cannot do evil, he can't make a rock so big that even he can't move it, stop being stupid. You know what else? God can't be surprised. You can't jump out from behind a bush and go, boo, and God, oh, son, you startled me. It doesn't work. He's sovereign that way. So when we say that God chooses and he calls and he gives, that lets us know that either God is sovereign or he's not. It means he's in control. And your choices and their choices and the stock market on Friday. He's not worried. He's not sending Michael down there. Hey, man, we got to look at the stock market thing. These people are getting out of hand. He's calm in the middle of that storm. That gives me hope. Because it says, remember, that God works all things together for the good of those that love him. That doesn't mean that, you know, everything just works out in the end. It doesn't work out in the end for everybody. But it works out in the end for those who love God. And if you and I choose to love God, His good will prevail for us. So life is hard. God gives us hope. 
So what do I do with that hope? What does this look like? What does hope look like in my life? Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians, and in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is an example of what it can look like, what hope should look like in the midst of life. Verse 17, he says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So get this. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Life is hard, and because God gives hope, we need to raise our gaze. We need to raise our gaze. We raise our gaze. We don't stay in this situation. Now, that doesn't mean that difficult situations aren't going to get us down. They will. But I don't have to stay there because I have hope. We don't live and act as someone that has no hope. We have great hope that God is making all things new. And one of the things that he gives us is this eager hope, this confident expectation, this new hope that comes with new life. I don't have great hopes that my life on this earth is going to be perfect because I got a feeling that it's not going to be. But I can raise my gaze. We groan here, but we glory there. I was reading uh, some excerpts from C.S. Lewis's books, The Weight of Glory and Mere Christianity. I want to share a thought that, that he had. And one of, one of the things I love about Lewis is is although all his work is rooted deeply in Scripture, just sitting around a campfire, you can understand some of the concepts and the ideas. And this is what he says. We all have longings and desires, right? And those longings and desires, some of them are never fulfilled. But human experience and logic and common sense that every longing and every desire must have a satisfaction. So if I have longings and desires that are not yet fulfilled, that doesn't mean they can't be fulfilled. They're meant to be fulfilled by something. There is a fulfillment. And what Lewis calls that is the God-given longing that we all have for the far-off country. The one that we won't find in the confines of earth. He's saying that every single one of us are longing for Eden. We're longing to get back to the garden. I was talking to one of my daughters about this, and this was, I don't, I don't know, a couple of years ago, and we were having one of those great long talks, you know, when everyone else was in bed asleep at night, and, and, and she was talking about home. And she was like, Dad, I don't feel like I'm home. And I'm like, but you're home. This is your home. And she goes, I know, but I don't know where home is. I don't, I don't know if this is Michigan home, is North Carolina home, where's home? And I shared with her, I said, sweetheart, I'm the son of a pastor and the son of a missionary. I think I've lived in 12 different homes and 10 different locations. I lost track of how many times I've moved. 
And can I tell you something? None of those places are really fully home. They all kind of feel like home. There's a little taste of home, but you know what? They're not home. Home is a far-off country that we're made for. See, that's an example of how we raise our gaze. I can love Michigan. I can love Port-au-Prince. I can love where I'm at, and I can be fully there, but make no mistake, none of us are home. Life gets hard, but we're not yet home. We're all longing for the garden. It's that mystery that the kingdom of God is here and it's within us, but it's not yet. It's the already but not yet of the kingdom. We get a little taste of it here. For me, that gives me great hope. Because there's some things that I long for that I can't even quite put my finger on. There's some ways that it's like, God, are you going to show up here? And I don't know what he's doing, but I, I sometimes it, I wonder if God lets the tiger struggle just so we'll just continue to have hope. And yes, I'm coming over to the American League. But we raise our gaze. You know, Tim was talking about hope. I didn't think, you know, we'd ever see that building. I don't want to make this about a building, but chairman of our board started a board meeting just last week, and he reminded us that this time last year we didn't have funding, we hadn't started building, we didn't even know how it was going to happen. And all of a sudden we're like, is it ever going to be done? I saw concrete. You know what? Wow. God, you're really doing this. gives me hope. But it's not going to be home. We're not going to be satisfied. We raise our gaze. We fix our eyes on Jesus. I heard a story of this missionary lady who was kind of down and she needed some encouragement. She needed to raise her gaze. And just at the right time, uh, she got a letter from home. Remember when we used to handwrite letters? She gets a handwritten letter and uh, she's reading it and hearing news from home, she's so encouraged and she's going through and then the best part is, when she got to the second page, a crisp $10 bill fell out. Now, that's encouragement. I don't care who you are, right? That'll still buy you a happy meal, right? And so she's just encouraged, and, and uh, it, it was helping her to raise her gaze in the midst of her situation. And as she looked out the second-story window, she saw a man standing in the doorway of the, the place where she was staying, and he was shabby. He looked like a bum. He looked like he was kind of down on his luck, and and looked like he needed some encouragement. And so in that moment of raising her gaze, she took that $10 bill and she put it in an envelope and she scribbled on the outside, don't despair. And she dropped it right out the window, fell at his feet. He picked it up, opened it, saw the $10 bill read on the outside, don't despair. Tipped his hat to her and walked away. She raised her gaze. She had hope. She passed it along. Next day, there's a knock on the door. She opens it. There's the bum. And he's got a wad full of bills. And he thrusts it in her hand. She goes, what's this? She said, that's your share. Went to the track. Don't despair. Was paying 10 to 1 odds. (laughs) Don't despair. Raise your gaze. We have a new hope. We have a new hope. And it's for those who love God. Would you bow your heads with me?
I wonder if between you, me, and God, with, with your heads bowed, if you just let me know, because I want to know who I'm praying for. Who needs a new hope today? I could use some hope. I might need to raise my gaze. Just take five seconds. Just put your hand up real quick. There's a situation. Yep, four, three, two, one. Sweet. We all could use some hope. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died on a cross as the hope of the world, that your reckless grace is our greatest hope. God, thank you that your word is true and your word promises us hope, that you saved us. You gave us this promise of eternal life because you're up to something, that you're working your good purposes because you're up to something, that you called us, you chose us, you knew us from the end, from the beginning, you knew everything in between. God, that none of us, it's a mistake that we're here, that there's a reason that we need to hear about this hope. God, I pray that you would give us that confident expectation not in ourselves or not in tomorrow, but in you. God, thank you that we don't have to despair because of what Christ did for us on the cross. God, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that has never experienced the hope that can come when life gets hard, God, that they would choose to give their life to you today. God, I pray that you would help us to remember in the midst of our sufferings and our hard times, you would help us to remember to raise our gaze, Jesus. Thank you for the privilege of being called your children. For the privilege of relying on a Savior. The one who's got a great big plan. We can have hope in that. Thank you, God, that you're making all things new. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.